mention two things before uh, I read uh, the text this morning. The first one is, so it's July, and in uh, July we take the month off uh, for uh, children's worship so that our um, volunteers can get a break, and so you can remember what it's like to sit with your kids in church. And um, uh, just a word about that, you know, (laughs) it's hard to sit with little kids in church. It's real hard. So just want to put that out there, right? As a parent, you're nervous that they're interrupting the people around you or that people will look at you and judge you because you're... uh, your household's not in order. Um, they squirm. Um, you know, one of my one of my best memories of sitting in church with my kids when we, we actually poor Marty, she had to sit with them all the time. But um, when we would go visit family, we go to church. I'd get to sit with my kids, and my middle son looked at me in the middle of church. He's four or five, uh, as almost as loud as I'm speaking to you now. Said, "Wow, Granny's church is long." And, uh, you know, everybody's embarrassed, but I thought, well, he's only saying what the rest of us are thinking. And so, (laughs) right? Um, So we welcome your kids. We're glad they're here. And um, Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus welcomes them. And so uh, if people around you uh, frown upon your squirmy kid, uh, then you... (laughs) We'll pray that Jesus will welcome them too because because uh, they need to repent of that. And is it a distraction? And do you only pick up every fourth word that's spoken up here? Sure. Uh, but we believe there's a spirit of God who uh, takes what little we get and applies it to our hearts. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, so we're going to talk today about uh, the ministry of hospitality, particularly when we look at, at Mary and Martha. Um and what to do when when that becomes kind of imposing and uh, what to do when uh, working ourselves to the bone becomes a distraction. I don't know if you know it or not, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, this weekend's the 50th anniversary of uh, um, uh, uh, us landing somebody on the moon. Did you know that 50 years ago? 50 years ago. Maybe some of you knew that. They didn't. I have very distinct memories of that. Uh, I was nine years old when it happened. Um, it, and as I remember this, I don't, I, I haven't double checked this memory, you know, 50 years ago doesn't always serve me well. But I remember uh, we were at church and I'm pretty sure the moonwalk was on a Sunday night. Isn't that right, Barton? <laughs> yeah, it was on a Sunday night, uh, late, like almost 11 o'clock. At night, it was, it was pretty late. I do remember that. Uh, I remember being at the six o'clock service at our church because we were a two-service Sunday church, and if the doors were open, the Shelbys were there on the fourth row. And so, um, I remember our pastor speaking up front about the fact that he wanted to watch that, uh, not because of any uh, thing about man or anything like that, but he was only interested in seeing more of God's creation, which you know is really religious and. Um, you know, sounded good in church. The problem was that as we were leaving, he came up to my mom and dad and said, I'd like to come to your house tonight to watch the the moonwalk. This is like seven o'clock. Um, and 
So I just remember a couple of things stand out as a nine-year-old. I think my mom smoked a pack of cigarettes from the time uh, we left church until about 1030 when he showed up at our house uh, because she didn't know what to do. And I just remember it being blazing, blazing hot. We didn't have air conditioning. And and we only had a little black and white TV. And I just remember, like, watching it thinking, what is happening? It's very hard to see. Is you know, it's no wonder people think they just landed in the desert in New Mexico and made the whole thing up because it was, it was really, it was really hard to tell. I do remember the pastor came, he prayed, uh, and it ended up being a good thing in the end. Um, and so, uh, although it probably wasn't good for my mom to smoke that many cigarettes, but uh, the 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 fact is. Um, uh, as a congregation, as we press more in the coming year into hospitality and inviting our neighbors uh, to our homes, uh, it is a good thing to be reminded, as this text will remind us today, that much of the work of the church happens not inside these four walls, but at your house around the dinner table. So in light of that, uh, let me pray before we read the text, and uh, we'll jump in here this morning. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice today in your goodness and your love and mercy. We are grateful today for uh, the fact that you are a welcoming God and that uh, you welcomed sinners, you welcomed children, you welcomed all kinds of folks into your presence, and uh, you spoke the truth. Uh, And you delighted in uh, fellowship and uh, parties and get-togethers. And so we're, uh, we're grateful for that. Lord, we confess that we can distort that as well uh, and uh, become distracted and over busy. So help us today uh, as we look at Mary and Martha and we hear your words uh, and we are encouraged today by your love for us. Uh, We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, uh, text is in the bulletin also. Uh, up on the screens behind me. This is uh, God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken uh, away from her. So uh, in our offices, we've often put uh, things on our doors uh, that we find helpful, funny, interesting, that sort of thing. A couple of years ago, I came across a... um, a gospel coloring book picture of this of this text, and it's uh, um, Martha is angry at Mary because she's not helping, and it's a picture of a really angry woman uh, fixing, working, and uh, so I put that on my wall, on my door, so that um, well, for a couple of things. One is because a lot of folks that come to see me are Marthas who are mad at a Mary in their life. <laughs> 
And I thought this might make our time more efficient. Uh, if I uh, if I put that on the door and they see that on their on, on their way in, uh, but it's also a good reminder to us because over our history of almost 26 years, we are a busy church. We're busy. We do a lot, um, and uh, so it's it's a good thing for us to to take a moment and to hear these words and to see uh, what Jesus. Uh, has to say uh, about this this morning. So Scott, uh, let's throw my notes up there. So just to put this text in uh, context a little bit, right? So the story of Martha and Mary is the next story in the Gospel of Luke. Last week we looked at the uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And so Jesus ends that parable by saying, after you know the the example of the Samaritan uh, taking the risk to love the man in the ditch, that he says, you know, go and do likewise. Right. And so the, the temptation for us, the temptation for competent, accomplished people like us is to hear that and think, you know, the the whole point of the gospel, the whole work of Jesus is about us being busy and being busy about uh, the things that he wants us to do. And there is a time and a place for action. Uh, and there are a few of us who are probably a little more inactive than we should be. But that for the vast majority of us in this room today, we tend to fill our days with activity, with things to do, and much of it is good, you know, positive uh, activity, right? So, but Jesus comes right out of that story after addressing that by saying, go and do likewise. And we have this story of him as he's on his way, stopping at Mary and Martha's house, right? The Mary and Martha who had the brother Lazarus, uh, he raises uh, Lazarus from the dead. They're friends of his. They're dearly loved. He loves them. They love him. He's coming through Bethany. And what happens? He goes to their house, right? And we read in the text that Martha is not put off by this. She's not upset by that. She's not angered by that. She welcomed him. She welcomed him into her house. She was glad to see Jesus. She was happy to see him. It was awesome. It's not unlike that text we read earlier in the service where Abraham, you know, as an old, old man by this time, sitting out in the heat of the day under the tree, and suddenly the Lord shows up. And just imagine being roused from your nap by Jesus standing in front of you. And suddenly he runs to the tent. Hey, Sarah, make some bread. She's really old, too. Let's kill the, the calf. Let's let's have a meal. Right. So so in both cases, there's a, a sense of delight, a sense of excitement, a sense of joy that the Lord has come to visit. And it gives an opportunity for us to fellowship with him an opportunity to to serve him an opportunity to be with him. Right. So that's that's exactly what uh, uh, what's happening here. Now, uh, a, a thing to note about this. Right. So it. it you, you may be thinking, well, it would be delightful for the Lord to come and sit at my table. But if you know anything about the Gospels, what do we know about this? It's not just Jesus. Now, as they went on their way, my reading of the Gospels is Jesus typically traveled with a dozen guys, maybe more. Right. So it's not just Jesus who shows up for dinner. Let's say it's a bunch. Maybe 13 people are suddenly there to eat. So that makes Martha's welcome even the more impressive, right? Uh, I'm glad to see you, Jesus. I love you. Uh, you know, it's delightful to have you here. We, we support your ministry. We love you. We want to we wanna help you, and we're going to serve you and your disciples, right? So that's a pretty impressive thing for us to think about right there off the bat. So 
Um, just imagine you and your situation uh, suddenly being uh, being caught in a situation where I don't know if Jesus told them he was coming. I don't know if he alerted them, if, if he sent messengers ahead or, or whatever. But there he is with his disciples sitting in their house uh, teaching, as we'll see. And Martha is busy about providing for him, right? So we read that Martha welcomed Jesus and she got busy and then she got distracted. Busyness is not necessarily a negative thing, especially busyness in, in the service of the Lord, but this busyness led quickly to distraction. And then that distraction, as we'll see, led to bitterness, right? So while she's busy doing all the things that are serve, about serving, we read that her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, this is an interesting thing about Jesus, right? He comes to her house. Uh, and he's not just propping his feet up watching the British Open or something like that. He's actually in there doing what Jesus does. He's teaching. He's speaking. He's he's uh, doing what he does wherever he goes. He's telling people about the love of God. And he's talking to them, rebuking them, comforting them, convicting them, helping them. You know, he's 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 Jesus and he is speaking words of truth. And so Mary is delighted that she's in, that he's in her house and she is going to take this opportunity to sit at his feet and to listen to him. Now, uh, it's interesting. We don't, we don't read here. We don't get a window into Mary's heart other than the fact that she sits and listens in, to Jesus, but we get a view into Martha's heart, right? Because she's distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now that had to be an awkward moment, right? Tell her then to help me, right? Now, I, it, I, I don't want to read too much into this, but I, I wonder a little bit, you know, Martha knows that Jesus loves her. Martha knows that Jesus uh, knows that he's welcome in her home. And yet there must be something going on in her that's driving this need to be busy, this need to to work. And I wonder if if, if she is... Uh, falls prey to the fact that she wants to impress, that she wants to prove her love for the Lord, that she wants to demonstrate by all of her service and to demonstrate by her busyness and, and to demonstrate by the great meal that she puts on or, or the, 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 the cleanliness of the house or, or the, whatever it is that she's doing to make the Lord feel welcome there, that she's doing it in a way to impress him, that she's doing it in a way to show him how much she loves him, right? Which in some senses is not all bad, but whenever we find ourselves in a place where we overdo it or we, we make ourselves over busy and distracted because we're trying to impress or we're trying to demonstrate something rather than resting first in the reality of Jesus' love for us and, and, and having the opportunity to sit at his feet, it's not hard for us to quickly trip over into distraction and then into bitterness. Now, it's interesting. Martha assumes that she must impress. But uh, earlier in the chapter, next next slide, please, Scott, that earlier in the chapter, uh, Jesus uh, has sent out the 70 to preach. And he gives them very uh, 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 direct instructions about what to do when they go to a house and they come into a town, how they're what they're supposed to take with them, how they're supposed to act. And one of the things that he said is 
And Jesus had said this to his disciples. He sent them out. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Right? So Jesus doesn't say, listen, you guys are super duper important. And so wherever you go, people are going to put out a giant spread for you of the best things. No, no. Jesus says, wherever you go, when you're preaching the gospel, whenever people put food in front of you, whatever it is, eat it. Now, one of the, one of the best things about uh, this congregation and our place here in this community is the opportunity that we have uh, to experience cultures different from ours. And one of the things that I think, you know, we, when we t- hear the word culture, we tend to think about books and movies and music and stuff. When I think about culture, one of the things I think about is food. wonder why. But anyway, um, food, I think, says a, a, about as much about a culture as, as anything else. And so one of the great opportunities to fellowship with people from a different culture is to eat food with them and to eat their food. Just as, you know... The folks who come here from all over the world have to eat our food, right, Um, and get used to it. Uh, A couple of times Kevin and I have been in in folks' home, and uh, uh, they have presented us with food. And um, I have a distinct memory about us one afternoon visiting with a family. It was a delightful time, a wonderful time, and they wanted to serve us, and they presented us on this table with this loaf of something, and uh, and we we ate. And when I ate, I prayed, Lord, you said that whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So I am obeying your word, and so you're on the hook now to protect me, <laughs> right? You. You, you must, you know, because I don't know what it is that I'm eating. It, it doesn't look like anything I've ever had before. Uh, but uh, just as uh, uh, whenever you come across something new like that, you, you eat it and, uh, um, and you eat it uh, and you pray, right? So, so the fact is there is no expectation that, uh, that Jesus has that suddenly you're going to do your best or you're going to uh, uh, do something uh, super, super fine for him, right? So I'm sure for Martha, there's some, there, she feels challenged here. She feels pressed and she feels like, you know, the way to get yourself out of this challenge and the way to address this is to get busy, to work harder. That by working harder and by doing something, we can overcome the challenge that suddenly we have that 13 plus people are in our house and we've got to figure out a way to feed them and to care for them, right? And so, so for most of us, when confronted with any kind of challenge, our first default is to get busy, right? And that makes sense for us. We are competent people. We, we know how to do things, and we, we want to have the uh, reputation of can-do people that make, make things happen. And so when we're met with a challenge, what's our first default? Our first default is, well, I can fix that. I can do that. We, just, we can work our way out of this. There's nothing that hard work can't solve, right? 
So our first default is to get busy. Busyness leads often to distraction. And then distraction, as she is here, she's distracted, leads us to be tempted to be uh, bitter against others. And ultimately, ultimately, that bitterness is against the Lord. Next slide. So one of the things that I think is, is profound about that is that happens to us all the time, doesn't it? That we're confronted with a situation, an unexpected situation or a difficult situation, or even confronted with an opportunity for ministry, an opportunity uh, to uh, be engaged with uh, uh, in, in some way ministry. And what do we do? We pour ourselves out. We run into challenges and we find ourselves over busy. And we find ourselves, when I find myself over busy and distracted, I begin to fail. And as I begin to fail, I begin to feel ashamed. And as I feel ashamed, I begin to blame others for the fact that I'm failing, not least of which Jesus. Right? For many of us, you know, distraction doesn't seem like that big of a deal because we, this is the air we breathe and the water we drink. Distraction. We are distracted. We're distracted bunch, right? Uh, one of uh, one of my favorite uh, movies recently is was the movie Up, a cartoon movie a few years ago. And uh, the dog, every time the dog is on the screen, someone says, squirrel. And he breaks off whatever it is he's doing and begins to take off after that. Right. Well, that's 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 how I, we are. Right. We're looking for the next squirrel to get that dopamine rush of whatever the next thing is. Oh, that's interesting. Or that's interesting. Or that's interesting. Right. Andrew Sullivan wrote a few years ago uh, about the the problem of distraction. He says, uh, if the churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction. Perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. Christian leaders seem to think that they need more distraction to counter the distraction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, their services have de- degenerated into emotional spasms. Their spaces drowned with light and noise and locked shut throughout the day when their darkness and silence might actually draw those whose minds and souls have grown web weary. Occasionally, occasionally I will walk through the gallery out there and I'll look in here and somebody will be sitting in here in the semi-darkness in the middle of the week by themselves. So weird, <laughs> right? What's wrong with them? Why in the world would you do that? Don't you have a job? <laughs> Don't you have somewhere to be? Don't you know that you're not important if you have time to go sit in the church by yourself and be still? Come on. Come on. You've, you've, you know, right? That's why I say it's very rare and it's on very rare occasion uh, that I see that, right? By the way, the doors are open Monday through Sunday, if you want to come and sit. Of course, if a bunch of you come, then it'll be distracting, right? But uh, frankly, 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 I don't think there's a lot of danger to that. So, um, but, the, but, the, but the truth is, uh, it's a pretty powerful thing, right? And when we get distracted, one of the things that happens to us is as Mary is, uh, as Martha is distracted there, what happens to her is she begins to lose sight of what's happening. I mean, after all, Jesus is at her house. <laughs> right? 
After all, the one who loves her, her dear Lord, is sitting in her house speaking words of grace. Right? So what's going to help us? I, I could tell you, stop being distracted. I, I, I could tell you to put down the thing that distracts you, put away those things that distract you. Um, but I, I fret and fear that that's, uh, that's a fool's errand for many reasons. But what I can tell you today is this. I think one of the remedies that we could see for our distraction, that uh, our busyness, our distraction, and then our bitterness, uh, because our uh, busyness is not produ- producing the results that we want, uh, is a bit of confidence, right? Because Jesus is here, he is speaking, and this Jesus knows what's going on. And in fact, believe it or not, he knows better than you. He knows better than Martha. Which is hard to believe because when I'm busy, no one knows better than me. I know exactly what needs to happen and I am about it, right? He's in control. He's on the throne. And even as he's just sitting there teaching, he's still working, right? So come and sit for a while. And that's an expression of faith in that. It means that we have confidence, right? That I don't need to be fearful that if I don't do this and if this doesn't, you know, it all depends on me and I must be about this. And, uh, you know, after all, Jesus is not helping. He's just sitting there talking, right? For a while, from our perspective, our experience, our feeling and everything is going wrong and to hell in a handbasket, our view of things is far too limited to make right judgments, so as impressive as it may seem that Martha makes this claim to Jesus, the, the fact of the matter is Jesus sees all, Jesus knows all, Jesus is at work there. And it's a, it's a great thing for us to recognize that I have blind spots and I don't see everything exactly the way it is, but someone does. And it's Jesus who's sitting there in my living room, right? There's a bigger picture, and whether we know it or not, whether it feels like it or not, Jesus is ruling all things for the good of his church and for the good of his children. That's our confidence, right? And so when I, when I rest in that, when I hear that, when I see Jesus for actually who he is, my Savior, my Lord, who, who brings these things into my life for my good, who is at work in the world, I can rest for a moment and entrust these things to him and recognize that it all doesn't depend on me. It all depends on him. And he's utterly trustworthy, right? So there's a confidence that comes from the knowledge that Jesus loves us. That's the whole thing about this story. It is such a warm, beautiful story that Jesus comes to town and he comes and he makes his home. He, he, he makes his temporary home there in their home. What joy and blessing is there from the fact of knowing that there he is. He loves you. He's with you, Right? Now, one of the things that is profound about this text is that when Jesus rebukes Martha, and by the way, whenever you hear the Lord say your name twice, Steve, Steve, (laughs) you know, Joe, 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 right? So Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. When we hear him say one thing is necessary, we need to be about the business of figuring out 
uh, what uh, that one thing is. And that one thing is, is listening to Jesus, right? So by cultivating listening to Jesus first, when it comes to time to act, distraction and bitterness will be less of a temptation. Because what Jesus is saying here is to, to Martha is, you know, you don't ever have to do anything, that there's no role or no place in the world for activity or Christian activism or anything like that. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, listen, because of your finiteness, because of your brokenness, because of your sin, the reality is that you will quickly find yourself over busy, distracted, overwhelmed, because the burden, uh, the work to be done is greater than you can do. But it's not bigger than Jesus. So first and foremost, before we do anything, we rest in him. We sit at his feet. We hear what he has to say and we soak that up, right? Jesus says that Mary's chosen the good thing and it won't be taken away from her. In fact, as I thought about that this week, I kind of blew that off at first that it won't be taken away from from her because... um, Frankly, you know, uh, I don't believe there's much of anything that I have that, uh, you know, that I'll, I, I think if I just grasp onto it, I'll hold onto it forever. But Jesus says this one thing, resting in him, hearing from him, being in union with him will never be taken from us. J.C. Ryle says this, the true Christian's portion is the grace of God. This is the good part which he has chosen, and it is the only portion which really deserves the name of good. It is the only good thing which is substantial, satisfying, real, and lasting. It is good in sickness and good in health, good in youth and good in age, good in adversity and good in prosperity, good in life and good in death, good in time and good in eternity. The true Christian's possession shall never be taken away from him. He alone of all mankind shall never be stripped of his inheritance. Kings must one day leave their palaces. Rich men must one day leave their money and lands. They only hold them till they die. But the poor saint on earth has a treasure of which he'll never be deprived. The grace of God and the favor of Christ are riches which no man can take from him. They will go with him to the grave when he dies. They will rise with him in the resurrection morning and be his to all eternity. Man, you know, the, the fact is that that gives me the confidence to rest in Jesus, to hear from him, to trust him. And then when the time to do something comes, I'm, I'm, I'm not just equipped to do it, but I'm encouraged to do it because I know the freedom is mine. I don't have to impress. I don't have to perfect. I simply have to hear and know and walk in the confidence that my Jesus is for me that he loves me, that he lived my life, that he died my death, that he rose again, that he sees me, that he hears me, and that my rest in him is where my my real sustenance, my real help comes from. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine till that day when I drink it new with you and my father's kingdom. 
Let's confess our sins together uh, by using this prayer of confession that's uh, printed uh, in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Father in heaven, forgive us for attempting to avoid you. We have fixed our eyes and our hope on ourselves instead of worshiping you. We indulge in our striving instead of trusting you. We indulge in our shame instead of resting in you. We indulge in grumbling and complaining instead of crying out to you. We have been given over to anxious isolation instead of following Jesus and his mission. Yet your compassions yearn over us. You hasten to our rescue. In the cross of Christ, we see that your love endured our curse. Your mercy bore our justice. Forgive us all of our sin and renew our hearts. Turn us back to you. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. One of the things that is uh, so uh, rich uh, about uh, this text today is uh, we have the opportunity today to eat a meal with Jesus, right? Jesus gives us this bread and he gives us this cup and he is here present with us right now in pretty profound ways, uh, rebuking our sin and our, our self-reliance challenging our busyness and our workaholism and our need to find significance in our busyness and our to-do list, teaching us his grace, reminding us of his love, and providing for us fresh reminders here in this table of his love and his sacrifice for us. We said in our prayer of confession, we asked the Lord to forgive us all of our sin. Uh, Jesus says that when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. And, and so we are saying by eating this bread and drinking this cup that all our sins are forgiven. We need to be reminded of that. We need to have that confidence today that Jesus has set us free from our doing. It's a good, good reminder for us. It's a place to lodge our hearts today and to take him at his word. Listen. Jesus loves you and he comes to you and he makes his residence with you. Not because you're busy, but
but he loves you because he loves you. And you can't impress him. Do you think the hors d'oeuvres of your life, (laughs) the hors d'oeuvres that you might serve up the king of glory are going to impress him because you got this great recipe from the food network? Right? Rather, Jesus comes to our, our homes and our lives simply because he loves us and he desires us to be in fellowship with him. That's great news for us today. And that's the root of our confidence, the love of Christ shown to us in his cross, in his resurrection, and his spirit poured out on us and is present with us. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope except that work of Christ, you profess that to a body of believers somewhere. He welcomes you. He's glad to see you. He's glad to eat with you and to teach you and to tell you of his love. Uh, Today, you know, we have a great opportunity to be encouraged. As we saw earlier in the service, um, J.T. Van Horn came and professed his faith and uh, was baptized and became a professing member of our congregation. And uh, so uh, as the elders and deacons come down front uh, this morning to assist me, um, we're going to be led this morning in taking the Lord's Supper uh, by the Van Horn family. So um, Van Horns, you can lead us.